Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. The devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I always thought that meant, well, that you have a good life, you know, like your marriage and things like you. That's where I was struggling with, what is this all adding up? Well, that word is not suke for life. It's zoe. It's a word that's not even in our language. It's not even something you can describe. It's this supernatural, overabundant, it actually means like overflowing life. So it's sort of like Jesus says, I've come to give you this overflowing life and give it to you abundantly overflowing. Oh, well, how do I get that? Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. My guest Eileen Love talks about her faith journey as part of the Jesus Revolution generation. Such an interesting conversation. But coming to the knowledge of Jesus and choosing to receive what he offers us, eternal life, is just the beginning of her story because her personal relationship with Christ will be the lifeline she'll need to live free in this life, despite the reality of a deep ache in her heart that is associated with her beloved husband. As a young person, she comes to faith. She meets a young man. He's a new believer too, and he later becomes her husband. So they get married and they find a church and that they believe is a good fit to feed their hunger to learn more about Christ. They're passionate about growing in their faith, so they lean into their church family. But sadly, it would be in this family environment that their faith would be challenged by what they would later come to understand was a church of false religion, a cult. This becomes a very significant marker in her husband's life, and that, along with some other experiences, take its toll on him, and he begins to pull away from his faith to the point that Eileen can't talk to him about God. She can't share important things with the man that she dearly loves, and so she feels alienated in her marriage. So how did Eileen stay in her marriage for 40-plus years with a husband who did not share his whole self with her, and she felt like she couldn't share her whole self with him? I know when bad things happen or when things go bad, we often ask God to put it back together, make it like it used to be. 
But the beauty of allowing God to restore things is that he never puts them back like they used to be. And if we think about it, do we really want it back like it used to be? More more than likely, it fell apart for a reason. It didn't hold up under the pressure. It was more fragile than we imagined. But God restores with his value system. And that's how we get things we never imagined or thought to ask for. And as it does with all of us at some point in our dark journeys, God draws Eileen back into his heart and he shows her the power of his love for her that overwhelms the lack of her earthly relationship with her precious husband. She has some wonderful insight and shares the revelations that changed her mindset and encouraged her heart and enabled her to love her husband no matter what. And real quick before we transition into the conversation, I want to clarify one part of the episode. Eileen did a great job answering my question, even though it was not clear. And here's what I said. Why do you think that we humans do not associate bad things with a good God? I feel sure you can understand why that needs clarifying. What would have probably been a better question was, why do we have a hard time believing that God enters into our very dark, painful places with us? In other words, in times of great pain, it could be grief, guilt, shame, depression, anxiety, failure, remorse, you name it. We often wonder, where are you, God? We imagine him off in the distance watching us suffer alone, and yet he enters into our pain with us. And the reason that I wanted to point that out is because God has no fear of the things that we fear, the things that we struggle with. He's already conquered those things on the cross, and he can meet us in our pain because it poses no threat to him, and he knows the way through those emotions and situations. The reality of this life, be it broken or painful or traumatic, will never deter God, never keep him off in the distance. If we invite him in, he's there. The God of the Holy Bible boldly walks into our situation. He'll sit in the tension with us, catch our tears, receive our questions, soothe our painful places, gently leading us as we allow him to. As you pass through your personal valley holding God's hand, the terrors of this life bow down. They disperse, they cower because they recognize him. They know him as the victor. So when we get to this question in the part of the conversation with Eileen, I want you to listen to her response because she expands that topic even more. And uh, I want you to listen to her take. We close on a really strong, beautiful uh, message uh, talking about the deeper things of relationship that God has for us. God has bigger dreams, deeper roots, bigger revelations, deeper intimacy, a beauty that is not of this world. We can't perceive it until we experience it with him. And he does it for our good and his glory. Let's listen in. Welcome to the podcast, Eileen, and thank you for agreeing to be a guest today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Our topic is how God has used lifelong trauma in your life to shape your identity for his glory story. And I like how you said that for his glory story. You accepted Christ at age 16 in the midst of abuse and neglect in your home. And some would have a problem of perceiving a good God, especially as a good father with that type of life experiences. Can you share a little bit about your desire to know Christ in that context? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I, you know, grew up in a home that uh, had uh, a a Catholic background, but my mother, because she had been divorced, didn't 
go to church with us. She would drop us off at church and then come pick us up. So we would sit there alone and, you know, dink around. Like we didn't know what we were doing there, right? And so, um, and then the incongruity of this strange going to Catholic school, parochial school, and then Catholic high school, and having an idea of them talking about God, but then experiencing physical and emotional abuse at home and neglect. So I never, I couldn't connect the dots. So what I really grew up thinking, Sherry, was that, well, if there is a God, he's not really able to help. He's not, he doesn't care. He's just not present. So like, it was better just to, in some ways, push him aside and say he doesn't exist. So I kind of grew up in the sense of just trying to survive really just feeling like every day was just a, you don't really consciously think, oh, I'm surviving because you don't know anything else. You're just, you know, struggling. But uh, the summer before my senior year in high school, this is, did you see the movie, uh, The Jesus Revolution? I did. That was my generation. That was my time. Only I was living in New York at that time. And the, you know, the movie was about the California revolution, uh, Jesus revolution. But um, that magazine, um, I remember. So I remember like it started the wave kind of hit later for us on the east coast than it was on the west coast and i remember thinking what is all that but new york at that time was wild i mean crazy i mean because the youth were crazy we were all just you know smoking pot doing drugs hanging out trying to find meaning or whatever and so it was a wild time you know really was uh not good you know but we didn't know any different this is what i knew so everyone was just searching for love in all the wrong places you know so um, the summer before my senior year in high school, the, my boyfriend uh, was a year older than me, and he uh, had his best friend came home from college and during that summer, and he had found Jesus at, 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 you know, in college. And, and so I was like, great, he found meaning, terrific, I'm happy for him, but my boyfriend was undone by it, he just thought, no, 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 you don't understand, he doesn't want to smoke pavas, he doesn't want to do drugs, he doesn't want to hang out, he just wants to talk about Jesus, and he's completely changed, and I, and I just can't deal with it, and I'm like, well, look, if he's your friend, he should be happy that, you know, he's found some happiness, like, why can't he be your friend, and we would have these, like, arguments about it, and I didn't understand it, but I didn't know Johnny personally, but I had, I remember seeing him here and there, and, but I didn't really know him, so back in those days, we had, you know, some crazy parties, when the parents would go away for the weekend, I, I lived in a kind of a well-to-do area, and um, the kids would invite all their friends over, you know, the pool's there, it's a big house, and it was a free-for-all, it was not good, but we didn't know any difference, this is what we did, we were, wild crazy you know out of control and um believe it or not johnny was there he was sitting in the kitchen and he uh and i noticed him and i'm oh there he is there's johnny there's you know what who's lee's been talking about all this time new yorkers are not known for their diplomacy especially um under the influence of drugs and alcohol <laughs> right i'm watching this guy who's calm as can be i mean so calm he could have been like like that guy was in the jesus revolution he just was just sitting here quiet and calm not smoking we were all high on ash and drugs whatever he's just sitting there and smiling and just peaceful and there was three other young guys that were in this group of guys that hung out with us um i again didn't know them very personally these guys were literally like in johnny's face and like pointing their finger at him cursing at him and 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 railing on him 
And I was watching probably about 10 feet away, Sherry, in total shock because he didn't flinch. Now, this is very, very unusual behavior for New Yorkers because New Yorkers do not just take anything sitting down. They will tell, they will tell you what you don't want to hear and think, if you, even if you don't want to know, you know, if anyone has been around New Yorkers, they're not ashamed to tell you what they think no. right to your face. So, I mean, but he isn't saying a word. And I'm thinking, why is he taking it? Why would he just sit there? What is he, what's in it for him? I was shocked. And so he just sat there and I could feel this love coming from him. Like, like he was praying for these guys. Like you could feel this compassion that he had for these poor belligerent young men who didn't have a clue. He just loved them. It was as if Jesus was sitting there. That changed my world right there that day. The witness of Christ in that young man who I said, he has something I don't have. But I would really like to know what that is because I have never seen anything like that. And it was through him that I came to my Christ. Interesting. Did you ever catch up with him later in life? I did, actually. Yeah, I did. And it was really a wonderful thing to catch up. You know, he got married, had some children, and um, years later we connected. And yeah, it was a beautiful thing. And so I, I always kind of wondered why in the world was he at that party? I mean, you think about that. I mean, what was he doing there? But I really believe it was the love of God in him that kept moving him to reach out to his lost, very lost old friends. Did he know the difference that he made in your life? Yes, he did. You, you yeah, shared did. that with him? Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. That's good. That probably yeah. made that terrible bullying well, situation you know, better. Yeah. And what was so funny is that, you know, there you go. We think, you know, oh my gosh, that must have been awful. But if it was awful for him, you couldn't tell. Really? I mean, he just, that was the mystery was, you know, he didn't get defensive. He wasn't offended. He wasn't angry. I'm like, what is that? I, I, I can't even explain it. That's the <laughs> it was very the attractive. It made me really want to know what he had that I didn't have. And it was, like I said, that's what eventually brought me to Christ. Him, him inviting me to go to a, a Bible group and and seeing the love of God through these other believers, young believers at that time, 1975, um, they were all on fire for Jesus. And believe it or not, the thing that really was shocking about that first group I was invited to was there was such a diversity. You know, New York has a lot of diversity of, of ethnicities and different culture backgrounds. And there was probably about 30, maybe 35 people in this group. And there was old, there was young, there was black, there was white, there was uh, a priest, there was a nun, there were uh, people in patched jeans, people with long hair, people very short. I had never to this day seen a cross-section of humanity in one room filled with the love of God like I have ever seen in that room. So it was it was the Holy Spirit. It was God moving this wave of love and, and uh, revival. I didn't know what was called a revival. I didn't know what revival even was, but it was just a move of the Holy Spirit drawing us all together to learn about about Jesus. And it was, it was palpable. And, and I, when I went to that first meeting, I was quite honestly, I was afraid. Uh, it was sort of like a moth to the flame. I, I was attracted, but terrified at the same time, because I didn't know what to do with love. I, I, I didn't know how to handle it. It yeah. was scary. Yeah, probably a very foreign concept. It would have been for me at that stage of my game, stage of my life. Yeah. It, only by the grace of God did I, in fact, I sat there wondering what do these people have that I don't have I don't understand because they weren't like 
Bible thumping, you know, they weren't just, you know, coming down and talking about you need to repent and all this. They weren't really getting into all that per se. But at the same time, I, I don't know, I think they were preaching the gospel, but I just maybe, I think I was so shell-shocked. I didn't know how to receive it. I, I was just trying to sit there long enough to take it in and wonder. But I remember I had made this, this bet with God, if you could call it that, but I didn't really believe in God, like I said. And I thought, okay, all right, here, here's the deal. It, God, if you're real, if you can hear me, and if you uh, exist, and what Johnny has is real, I want to know that. So if you hear me, and it's true, show me. So that was that moth to the flame feeling I had sitting in that room. And um, it was a very difficult hour and a half to sit there. But on the way home, I remember thinking to myself, there's something those people have that I don't have. I just don't know what it is. And I could not stop saying it over and over again. And I remember going into my bedroom and then I was pacing the floor like Columbo with my hand to the head, back and forth and back and forth um, saying, what do those people have? I don't have, I don't get it. I don't understand. And then I heard these, this voice, I heard this voice, not audible, but it was just about what those people have that you don't have is their relationship with the living God. And at that moment, I fell under conviction of the Holy Spirit and I saw all my duplicity you know i think for myself and others i've known who have grown up with abuse it's you know their sin just so big it's so loud it's so in your face i don't see my sin at all i, I look pretty good you know i feel like i'm a good person why is this happening to me what am i what have i done to deserve dot 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 and so i i never saw my own sin and then at that moment i just saw it and it broke me completely for two hours i I cried and cried and I would be crying out and confessing this sin and that sin before I even would recognize, oh yeah, that's right, I did that. And oh, oh yeah, what about that? And it was like a cleansing. It was like, it was a it was a, a time of deep, deep conviction and repentance for like over two hours. And when I had sobbed it all out and I had nothing left to 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 say, I remember just saying, um, God, if you can change me, if you can take my life and make something good out of it, you've got it. Just take it and change it. And I all of a sudden felt this warm, rushing, like calmness come from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I felt for the first time in my life, I felt love. I actually felt it. And I was right. like, wow, wow. And then I tried to stay up all night because I was afraid it would go away. Right. <laughs> And then I finally fell asleep on three in the morning and woke up the next day and it was still there and it's still with me. That process you're call you're you are talking about that purging of, you know, the confessing of the sins. I love that about God, because it doesn't matter whether you're a teenager confessing and purging, whether you're a mother who you feel like you failed in certain areas. And so you purge those things that you think you uh, didn't get right, or you didn't do right. But the beauty of it is that we lay it at the feet of Jesus. And yeah. he's the one who covers over our mistakes and our shortcomings. And he turns mm -hmm. all of our heaviness into redemption. Like there, he can use yeah. that for a purpose in our yes. life to to, to turn us to a, a different knowledge and uh, that especially if we understand the past of what you're yes. so I, I just thought I'd stop and point that out because I love yes. that about him. I love it's it. wonderful. It's the gospel message, really redeeming, yeah. uh, you know, that what was bad for something good. Amen. For our good and his glory. Amen.
So you've accepted Jesus Christ and, and then you meet your husband at 19. Did y'all meet in a um, Christian setting? Cause I believe you said he was a Christian. Well, actually it was a year or so later um, that we met at the same little Catholic charismatic Bible study group. And he had just gotten saved. I got saved in the summer of 75. He got saved in the fall of 75. And, um, and then he came to this on fire group of believers um, in the spring. And so that's the first time I met him. I was 17. He was 16. So you meet him. So y'all get married at 19. You're Christians and you, you get connected up with a Christian group and it isn't what it appears to be. Right. So Back in those days, I don't, it had ever happened before that in my time or in a lot of people's times. I don't think that Jesus revolution really kind of points it out. It was completely new. It was a new thing that God was doing. And so these groups would start up and young men and who maybe had a love and zeal for the Lord, but didn't have a lot of knowledge. And I think there's some truth in the scripture where it talks about, you know, don't put a young man like it was in that movie in leadership because the gifts sometimes that God gives people can take precedence over the, the word of God and the knowledge of Jesus and the history of the Lord. You know what I mean? And, and That's what happened to Lonnie Frisbee is what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do know he yeah. fell away. And I understand that he has actually his life, his childhood had a lot of trauma involved in it. And I think he didn't, had needed to go through a lot of healing. I think sometimes people can take on their ministry uh, becomes their identity. Mm-hmm. And that's not, to be our identity. Jesus is to be our identity and our roots are supposed to be going down deep into that relationship with Christ, um, as you pointed out. But, you know, if they, it gets into our giftings and callings, um, that can really make us go sideways. You know, and the enemy can use that as he did in, in Lonnie's life. And, you know, he didn't know, he, he didn't, you know, we all had to grow through this, but getting back to your question, um, we got involved in a group called gospel outreach and, uh, there was a man named Jim Durkin at the time in Northern California. We moved to Northern California and joined this ministry. It was known for its charismatic kind of movement of what God was doing, but it turned out to be very controlling and very um, cult-like. And so we didn't know what that was all about, but my husband was very, uh, he was a very compassionate man, um, very discerning of things. And he picked up on some things that just weren't right. And he would say to the elders, hey, you know what? I think something's not right here. And then they would put him down for it and make him feel bad. He would say, well, what about this? And then they would twist the scriptures around. I mean, it was, it, it really put him through the ringer. And it, it, it really affected his walk with, with God. Because I think in his heart, he said to me, I really trusted God. I, I really thought he led us into this group. But why would he have led us into this group that was so messed up? And, and I mean, he had major uh, anxiety after leaving this group because they made you feel like if you leave this group, you've walked away from the Lord. And he was a young believer. He loved God. He didn't know what to do. And, but he, you know, would start to read the Bible and feel like the enemy would turn it around and accuse him. And we didn't have any real grounding. We didn't know how to fight back, how to deal with the enemy. And he didn't know. And so he just froze. He just like, wouldn't read the Bible. And then he's like, I, I, I'm not going to go. I think he might have made a vow in his life at that time. Like, you know, God, he, I remember him telling me, I'll never leave the Lord, but I'll never like trust another Christian again. I, I'm never going through that again, ever. Well, I kind of thought that would get better. Oh, well. Yeah, well, I thought it would, yeah. Well, there is that discipleship 
portion of accepting Christ and then you need to be discipled. And it, it sounds like you, I mean, you were in the company of wolves that mm-hmm. actually were dressed as sheep, but what do you know until you know? And that's what you're saying. You guys were young. My gosh, there's so many things I did even that had nothing to do with my faith walk when I was young that was poor decisions. Again, what do you know until you've gotten that life lesson? Exactly. So it's completely understandable that he's looking to dis- for these to these people for discipleship, and yet that's not what's happening. It's being twisted, uh, perverted, yeah. and then yeah. it's against him. Yeah, exactly. So how does this undermine your marriage when he takes a hit like that to his spiritual walk. Yeah. You know, I kind of thought he'd pull out of it. I thought, well, that was a bad experience. Honestly, I had, I had come from such abuse and um, deprivation, I guess is the word I would say. I I didn't have that love sense of um, feeling loved. And so um, knowing I was loved, I was provided for in, in, physically and so forth, but like didn't get hugged, never was told I love you, didn't get affirmation like that. When I felt love from Jesus and I experienced this new life, I was changed. I mean, I was really changed. My husband had a more loving home that he grew up in, but he had gone sideways as far as the counterculture of that time and got caught up in drugs and so forth and and was lost. But he had more of what I would call self-confidence. You know, he was always a confident, was an intelligent young man and had, um, in fact, one of the things that led him to Christ was that he had, was always in especially gifted children's classes and had a very high IQ. And then he was wanting to go into the Air Force in the military. And so there's a high school in New York that they have for uh, cadets, people who want to go into the military. And that was his plan. He was going to go in. He had good grades. He was that was his goal in life. And so in ninth grade, when he was going into high school, they do a test and they tested his vision. And his vision went from 2020 to 2050 in one eye. And they disqualified him from going to the high school and to being coming an air pilot. And he was devastated, right. absolutely right. devastated. And he really got lost. And his parents didn't know what to do or how to help him. So that um, that's how he ended up going down the drug road and the bad road. And, and eventually that led him to Christ. And that's so, you know, God can use bad things for good, but getting back to that idea of how my husband handled it or how it affected our marriage. I, I think my husband just said, okay, all right. All right. I, I know Jesus is good. I know he saved my life. I, I know he got me out of drugs. He took away all that desire he completely gave me uh, meaning in life. But this whole like, trusting Christians and church thing. I don't know. I'm just gonna, I, he just pulled back way back. And I think he started to just say, look, I'm not going to lean on anyone else's knowledge or understanding. I'm just going to pretty much lean on my own. That's what he said. I'll just going to trust my own thinking. And that I thought he would pull out of. And well, you know, six months later, I'm thinking, well, let's start going to church again. We, we need to find a good church. There's got to be some good churches out there. There has to be. And interesting, Calvary Chapel, which was what they showed in the movie, was the church that we were going to at that time. We actually, I, I started going, I heard about a Calvary Chapel that was in Eugene, Oregon, where we were living at the time. And I started going by myself and I was like, hey, I think this guy is okay. In fact, he's even talking about this, this group, that the teachings that they had, like the shepherding doctrine and things like that. I said, hey, he's calling it out. I really think we should go and you could meet this pastor and talk to him. And so my husband was like, oh, well, okay. So he started going and that was helpful. It was helpful, but he was always 
like not all the way in. He just could not really get involved with trusting Christians um, and ever again. I mean, I, I thought he'd get over it, but honestly, right, yeah. in the 40 years of marriage, he never got over that. He was really shut down in a lot of ways. I think a lot of type A people, well, any of us can, but when I think about type A people, everything needs to add up and make sense and be on point because they're intelligent people as well. And I, I think a lot of times it's hard for them to come to the knowledge of Christ anyway, because there's so much mystery about Christ that mm -hmm. you can't get everything to look perfect and to make sense and to add up. That's so true. So your husband is feeling disconnected from Christianity and from his walk with God kind of leaning on his own self. And I know when I start leaning on myself and doing my own little self-medicating or self-protecting uh, ways of things, I get separated from God even more. And then I find myself in trouble because I've made bad decisions or whatnot. Your husband continued with some abuse too, but before I get into a little bit of more of him, because it had such an imprint on your marriage of 43 years, but what are you crying out to God for during this time when your husband is struggling? Are you praying for him? Are you hanging on to scripture? Are you talking with God or all of the above? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think I was in despair. It's probably the best way to put it. I think I had gone about mm, four or five years, um, into this marriage. And I really thought, because this incident that happened early on in our marriage was the first year of marriage, but we had this quasi cult situation come into our lives. But, but I really couldn't talk freely with my husband about the Lord or uh, read the Bible together or pray together. He just was so uh, shut down in a lot of ways. He just didn't really want to talk about it. You know, like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get that deeper. I don't want to, you know, he wouldn't maybe even put it even words like that, but in a way it was like, I don't want it. So he just avoided it. And I remember at one point, um, we, my husband had gone to college and gotten a, a, a degree in uh, forestry and he had wanted to work uh, with him for the U.S. forestry. And so we moved to this really small town, Blue River, Oregon, um, population 500. And um, beautiful place, beautiful, beautiful place. And my husband started working for the Forest Service. And, um, and I was isolated. They had a, a local church there that was kind of funny. The locals called it the Church of the Double Wide. It was this double wide <laughs> mobile home out in this little meadow. And uh, it was this Assembly God Church. And this pastor wore a blue polyester suit and played the organ. And, um, you know, I'm a city slicker New Yorker. You know? <laughs> I can picture Talk the culture shock that is. And, and, well, I was very much into, I was a hippie. You know, we were both hippies. We loved the woods. We loved all this thing. And so this was really up our alley uh, to live in a place like this. But, uh, but Polyester I messed you up. Uh, oh my goodness. I just didn't know what to think. I actually grew a lot in this church because I learned that it doesn't matter what people wear, where they're coming from. We're all, we all need Jesus. We all love the Lord. And, and these people were just beautiful people. I grew a lot of my faith. In fact, that pastor ended up really discipling me because my husband wouldn't go to church with me. He started to go and then he just got cold feet and pulled back. But um, I remember this one day I went to church and I came back and I, you know, sometimes you get fired up with the message and you want to share it. You want to talk about it. And I didn't really have a lot of friends. I didn't have any friends at that time in that little town. And I hadn't really gotten to know anybody yet. And the people that were going to the church were older 
And um, so I'm excited. I'm coming home and I'm going to talk to my husband about it because I just so on fire and I could have just opened the doorknob to go into my house. And I, um, I'm telling you, I, I heard like the word say, don't say anything to him. Just don't talk. Don't talk about it. It's okay. Just don't talk about it. I was so angry. Uh, I, I was just so angry. I, I took my Bible. I walked into the, my living room and I slammed it down on the coffee table. I threw it down. And I walked outside and I, we lived on a river and there's a, a big rock by this river. And I went down there and just cried my eyes out. Like I bawled for hours. <laughs> I still bawled thinking about it yeah, because it was just so intense. I thought, God, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, I, I didn't marry an unbeliever. I married a Christian. And I'm it's up here in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. That was the word. It's not fair. You know, I didn't ask for this. And what do you mean I can't talk to him? What are right. you trying to tell me? Right. And what, you know, on and on, just pouring it out. You know, I can't live like this. I can't talk about you. I mean, it's kind of like this is nowhere, no man's land. Like he's not, he's not an unbeliever, but he's not right. really a believer. He's not. So what is this? And I'm, and I'm all alone. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and what are you doing? You know, how can you do this to me? And I just remember thinking, don't you know, after just, I mean, seriously, I can still remember feeling like I've cried every single tear I can cry, although I'm still crying, just thinking about the emotional right. impact that had on me at the time, how broken I was. And I'm like, God, okay, okay. So here I am in the middle of Blue River, Oregon with nobody. Don't you know? You know, that I need him. What are you doing? And I just was done. I just sat there just undone, you know. And the Lord so gently spoke to me. He said, don't you know that if you really needed him, I'd give him to you. I'm all you need. Trust me. And all of a sudden, it was like this little glimmer of light came on on my horizon I remember thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I remember when I first got saved, I was so full of love and I was happy. And before I ever met my husband, I was in abuse. I would get beaten before going to a Bible study in my home. That's how messed up things were. And I was still in love with God. I had such an anointing and a power of the Holy Spirit was so alive in my life. And so real. Jesus was my love. He was my everything. That first year of being saved in my home was hell. But I was in heaven with Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm not afraid of persecution because of what Jesus can bring on board when things are not going right in that department. I'm telling you, if anyone out there is listening to this, hear this loud and clear. Jesus will be there for you. He will be there for you. And so I really... Uh, experienced a lot of persecution everywhere that year in my high school, my, my senior year in high school, from people, from friends, from, I lost everything. My family was intense persecution in my home, but I had the love of the Lord and the Lord reminded me of that in that moment. And I thought, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? And I just realized, you know what? I have made my life about me. And about my marriage and about my happiness and about what I think is going to make me happy. And I have put Jesus on the 
as an adjunct to my life. You know, Jesus is in my life, but he was not my life. That's so good, though, because I think as a wife, we want to respect our husband. We want to submit. We want to do life with our husband. But when they're not walking with God or leading like they should in some capacity, then I guess we are forced to directly connect with God. Here's this beautiful ability to be married in what might be considered a not so perfect situation. And yet you can still remain there because that's what happened. You guys were married 43 years. That's pretty amazing because he never did find any sort of um, healing because he had PTSD. Did he ever gain any ground with his relationship in Christ in, in a way that would bring you comfort and joy and happiness? Or did you always lock arms with God and see your husband through as the best wife that you could be? That's a really good question, because I think that what the Lord had showed me at that time and why it was so intensely emotional was because the word when it talks about how when we get married, it will have you'll have trouble because your heart will be divided. You know, you want that relationship with your husband and you'll want that relationship with the Lord. The word talks about our heart being like soil and the seed going into the soil. Right. But that. In that analogy that the word tells us, the gospel, Jesus tells us, is that, you know, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire of other things can choke out that that love of God, that love of Jesus, so that the relationship we have with him is no longer first place. It's no longer the main thing. I was all about just, you know, my marriage. And yeah, Jesus was in my life, but... He was not the center stage of my life. My Actually, I think my husband, I was making him the, the idol. And, you know, me being, a, I need him to almost in some ways take your place. And, and the Lord was like, you don't need him for that. I am here. I am, you know, your life. And so it was like I had this, like a choke almost like of, that is true. Like, I remember how, I mean, I was thinking at that moment, five years later, like, wow, my marriage is really not thriving, I'm surviving this, but it's torture. But it wasn't much different in a different way than it was in my childhood growing up when I got saved. It was much worse than my childhood growing up. When I, you know, when I was 16, I got saved and I turned 17 that year. And I'm telling you, I had joy and peace and love. That I was given out to others in that circumstance. Where is that? Well, it wasn't there because I had made it about my life. And I don't think that's a decision. I, I would call it kind of drifting into the natural man, the natural life of living on the earth. You know, I'd made it about the temporal things that are what I thought were important. They are important, but they're not more important than the eternal. You know, Jesus came to give us eternal life not the American life that we think will make us happy. Because if if that was all we needed, then Jesus died for nothing. He didn't need to come and die for us if that was what it was all about. So my husband, he started to come around little by little by little. He said that he would get like 10% healing a year. As he looked back, as we got older, he reflected at one point in our marriage and life and he could start to read the Bible. He could start going to church. 
he could start talking about Christian things and understand them in some ways. I liked what you said, Sherry, about a type A personality, because that was certainly my husband's personality, that he would say, you know what, uh, you know, back at that time when he was worth the forest service, you know, uh, when he would, when things would happen that were, that were hard, like he, there was a, a hot springs up in the area, uh, Cougar hot springs in the Blue River. And, this well, it was back in the 80s. It got to be where the some of the some locals hung out there, but it started to bring attract the wrong kind of people to this hot springs area. And so my husband got concerned that someone would get hurt, like a woman could get raped or hurt up there. And he had a big heart for protecting women and people. And I really believe God brought him into my life because he had that kind of heart and he knew my abuse and he was just all about he was kind of that kind of like a firefighter personality, like that protect and serve kind of guy. Yeah. He wasn't a, a police officer mentality from the standpoint of, I'm going to be tough. He wasn't a hard guy. He had a presence about him that was strong, you know, masculine and and yet tender and caring. So he, they didn't have any uh, law enforcement in a, in a forest service. And so he was thinking, you know what? I think I'm going to become a, a, a reserve officer. I think the Lane County has a reserve officer program. I think I'd like to learn how to have a firearm and stuff like that to, so that if I need to protect someone, I can. So his motivation was good and his desire was like, I think this is necessary because I, I want to be able to protect if I need to. So he joined the Lane County Reserve Officer Program and he got his start to get his training. But in this training, um, I'll never forget it. He came home and I could tell something had happened to him. He, he just did not look good at all. I mean, I'm like, what happened, honey? What happened? He goes, well, they had us watch two hours of homicide slides today in training. Oh my gosh. Two hours. Two hours. Fun's enough. Nonstop. Nonstop. Wow. And okay, he said, and now mind you, my husband's a tenderhearted man, caring person. And, uh, and he said, I feel like I've opened Pandora's box and I can't close it. Mm. And he just said, he could, didn't talk. He actually, I think, went into shock. Right. And at that point, I, I, I said, look back on that time and, uh, and through the years, I've reflected on that. It was never the same after that. It, it, was, it was a very disastrous thing to his soul. And I think, interestingly enough, I remember, you know, reading in the word, I can't quote the scripture right now, but it talks about guard your eyes from violence, from seeing mm -hmm. violence. Mm -hmm. I think it it shattered his soul. Because I mm -hmm. think in his mind, he thought, how could God allow that to happen to these people? I remember him sharing one scene in particular that disturbed him, that concerned a woman and what happened to her body. And I, I, I go, oh, 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 I said, hey, 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 no, no, no. I can't, no, no, don't tell me that. I'm a very visual person. Like, oh no, I, I can't have that picture in my mind, honey. I'm so right. sorry, but please don't tell me these things. Uh, that's not, that's not good. I can't right. do it. Yeah, I was in my early twenties and I was traumatized by one thing, one thing he shared. And I'm like, no, no. I remember him talking to a paramedic who also sees very horrible things with people in first responder positions, EMTs, yeah. paramedics, women, you know, see a lot of trauma. And he told me that he had talked to him and said, I wish I could unsee what I have seen. I like when a few minutes ago, and I want to back up to it because I liked the way that we can, uh, I don't know, grab a hold of it with a, a real life example um, or a real life ability to 
connect with it. And that's when we're, you know, we're looking for our happiness, but God's more interested in our holiness. And we're constantly challenged to take what we can see, feel, hear, touch, taste, smell, and keep God in in place versus that which is natural. And we naturally gravitate to it. So I think that was a fair struggle for you. I know I have struggles like that. And it's to keep a check on yourself. It's like you said, staying connected to God, checking in with God, purifying yourself, or at least, you know, asking questions, giving God the ability to uh, cleanse you, if you will. What are some of the ways that you stayed connected with God in such a difficult marriage? Because again, it comes back to, it's not fair. You had a tough life. You do the right thing. You marry a Christian. And then it's like God flips the tables on you. Yeah, that's that's so good, Sherry, because that is sort of how, how it feels. It feels you can't make sense of it. Like, what's the point? How can this marriage produce anything good? God, and yeah. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, I, I didn't know I was going to be married and live like this for 43 years altogether. But here's the mystery of it all. But I think, as, you know, I'm going to be 65 this year. So, uh, you know, I've lived a lot with the Lord. And I've, I've learned uh, a lot about him and his ways, which are not our ways, right? But they're higher, they're better. Yeah. Because I think if I was to look back at that moment of crisis in my life where I I think as women, you know, our marriage is a very big deal. It's a very big deal. And you want to be intimate. You want to have connection. You want to be known and love and have this intimate, loving relationship. But you can't make it happen. It's a two-way street. You know, you have to have that person has to be wanting the same thing. But but what I didn't know that I do know now is, is that there is something far greater available to us. A love that far surpasses anything I could have ever imagined in my earthly marriage. But I had no idea what, how to really get there. I mean, I had that experience in my early walk, but then like, like that scripture, that parable, you know, the cares of the world. And the, the desire for other things, like I just got busy and you get your job. You start to look at that as being your life. It's such a, <laughs> a lower life form. I, I remember um, in my 20s, I had a job where I was caretaking a little boy and his sister. And he, we made a, a refrigerator box house. You know, you get a big refrigerator box and you put it on the side and you cut out little windows and you go in there and call him. He was two. And, uh, Oh my gosh, he, he, this was the, the coolest thing for him in the whole entire world. He thought this was great. And was, so he gets in there and he's squealing with just delight. And he's telling me, he wants me to come in and, and join him, right? So I'm like, I, I don't think I can fit in there, Grant. Oh, come, you know, he's begging me to come in. So, all right, so I get in there with him. It's pretty claustrophobic. It's kind of, <laughs> it's stuffy. <laughs> We're both in there. He's squealing. He's like, oh, this is the bomb. You're in here with me, and I'm like, I don't, I can't stay in here, Grant, very long. It's too small for me, you know. I think that's how Jesus must feel in our lives. 
we invite him into our lives as if it's some big grand deal, you know, like living, this is what I want. I want this house. I want this job. I want kids, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, you want to have all these things. And Jesus is like, um, I can't fit in that. I can't fit in there. I have something better for you, but we have to grow out of it. Honestly, we have to grow out of it. So at that moment, I mentioned earlier where I had my meltdown and was undone in my marriage. Lord was saying, I'm really all you need. And reminding me of how fulfilled I actually felt in the beginning. I had to go back to my first love. I had to go, okay, 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 I get it, I get it. You know what? I took out my Bible. I remember this and my journal. And I started to press in to know him. What am I missing? What, where did I lose you along the way? What did I pl- replace you with? What made me think that, I could just like go do this life. I drifted, I guess. I mean, I don't yeah. know how else to describe it, but you know, the things of this world took up the place of the soil in my heart, in my container. And I realized I had made my life more about me. And that I was, I was off. I was really off. So I decided at that point that there were some things, one of the things I could control were this idea of going back and finding Jesus again. So I made that a pursuit. And I decided that I was going to live through this next year or two after that time. I thought, you know what? There's only one thing I can really change. And that is if Jesus has come to give me eternal life, eternal life in its definition, its truest form, that word for life there, you probably already know this, but I'm just going to share it in case there's some maybe out there that doesn't know it. But in the word of God, there's three different words for life. There's the life, the word, we always, it's always translated life in the English language, but in the Greek language, the life, there's a life that we have for like, it's called bios, like where you have biology. It's not being alive or not. And then there's the life that is suke, where we get psychology from, where it's your soul life. Where the word says, if anyone tries to save their soul, they will lose it. But anyone who loses their soul for my sake, will find it. Well, now that's an interesting thing, right? What does that look like? And then when Jesus says, the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I always thought that meant, well, that you have a good life, you know, like your marriage and things like you. That's where I was struggling with. What is this all adding up? Well, that word is not suke for life. It's zoe. It's a word that's not even in our language. It's not even something you can describe. It's this supernatural, overabundant. It actually means like overflowing life. So it's sort of like Jesus says, I've come to give you this overflowing life and give it to you abundantly overflowing. Oh, well, how do I get that? Remember Johnny in the beginning? He had that. Well, I knew he had something I didn't have. I tasted it in the beginning, but I lost it. And I, 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 that has been my pursuit to find it. I have found it and it's worth it. And nothing compares to it. Nothing. What a power position that is, because if you shift the mindset and you step into God's life, what his dream is for you, discovering 
when he knit you together in your mother's womb, what did he have intended for you? How did he make you in his image? What characteristics has he given you? And when you begin to step into his world and view your life through his value system, that's that source of abundant life, despite the circumstance that you are in, despite the titles that you lose or the responsibilities that you had associated yourself with titles what else i mean there's right. just so many things i think you even identity it used to define me but it no longer defined me it refined me we even talked about it so identity to our roles and titles expectations physical appearance social economic background mm -hmm. i think those were some of the things that you and i had talked about earlier so god meets us in the middle or in the midst of life yeah and repurposes everything if we'll let him and redefines a lot of the ways that we look at things. Because I, I think that's the challenge for me a lot of times is that when you're looking for a happy life, God's like, here I am right here. But you're like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about this life right here, Lord. I'm talking about with my husband, <laughs> right, I'm talking right. about with my kids. And I'm not happy here. And then he's still like, hey, well, hey, babe, I, I'm writing a bigger love story with you. If you want to set your, the eyes of your heart on me, I can do this despite what this world is dishing out. How exciting is that? That's pretty exciting to think yeah, that God pierces. Think, yeah. And I think that that invitation that you're describing is what he wasn't trying to clue me in on that a little bit, reminding me of like how it was. And this invitation, I'm all you need. And it's like, really? Is that true? Wait, 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 wait. I think I have had, I have experienced that, but what does that even look like? I honestly, I didn't know anyone who's living that life. So I, I didn't have anyone to like compare it to. However, in that time period, God brought me like Johnny Erickson Tata at that time. She was very instrumental in my life because I hear she was a quadriplegic and, and she would just she would radiate joy like like Johnny did that and time. Still does. Like, okay, okay, okay. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, now what is it that she has that I don't have? That, I, that is available to me. I knew that the Lord was inviting me into that, but how do we find it? And I think that it's this conscious, intentional choice that God offers to us, but he's not going to, uh, I mean, who wants to be loved for what you can get out of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that God is like, you know, we, we don't do this on a conscious level when we love somebody, we love our husbands because, you know, we're attracted to them or this or that, or whatever the reasons why we get married in the long run, what we love, right? But the scripture says where your treasure is, is where your heart is. Yeah. So what is it that I really am looking for? What is that, that, that treasure all about? If it is all about what I think, especially in our culture, fulfillment self in a lot of ways our culture is very much about self aggrandizement glory to self you can be the best you can be as if you has everything in it this identity or this treasure of where our, our treasures where our heart is when we don't know what we don't know we don't know right so we're we're thinking that if god is in my life and if he loves me and he's going to give me this abundant life that I was under the impression was about more of this life now. Right. We get our eyes set on what's in front of us and we get caught up in a trap of temporal living and forgetting that we are eternal spirits. God created us in his image. Recently, I had this understanding, this is kind of funny, but since my husband passed, 
you know, he was my go-to guy for like anything electrical, computer, anything. He could fix things, do things. I mean, he was my go-to man, right? So I, I never had to learn any of that because he could fix anything and do anything, right? Well, I had this extension cord issue the other day. And I and it came to me that as I was working with these extension cords, you know, there's these two-prong extension cords, and then there's a three-prong extension cord, right? Depending on the kind of cord the appliance has, makes a big difference on what extension cord it needs to go into to get the power. So if Jesus said that he came to give us life, okay, and give it to us abundantly, in my own thinking, I'm thinking, okay, I'm an American, right? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. This is what it's about. We don't know anything else. We grew up in this culture. And so that's like a two-prong, <laughs> a two-prong cord. And I'm looking to plug it into my two-prong marriage, right? My two-prong world, right? To get my power and my life, my life. You know, I'm going to plug in. I got to plug into this. And Lord, why aren't you plugging this in? The only problem is that when we're born again, he gives us a new cord, okay? We are new creations. We are completely different, but we're growing into it. We don't really understand it completely, but there's this mysterious three-pronged thing we have. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I have this three-pronged power source. The way I saw Johnny and the way we saw Johnny Erickson title, like, how do you overcome the two-pronged life, right? Yeah. Well, because God's given you a three-pronged cord Amen. that can only be plugged into Jesus Christ, who is the extension cord to the Father. He is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I've come to give you this spirit of life, of Zoe life, that's so much better than your two-pronged little world that you think is going to be so rock and great. That, like, it's going to over, it's better than my life. You got to plug into the right source. You got to plug into the right kind of way. I created you to know my love, to experience my love, which will generate this love and power in you that will overcome, overcome your circumstances and any situation. And that is what he wants us to long for or desire to have. But we don't know what we don't know, but sometimes we can see it in other people. We can learn it like you're doing with your stories. People you go, well, I want that. I want that. That's the life that Jesus, that's the good news. Jesus is like, well, I came to give you that life because it's the sin of the fallenness of not having that third prong. Our spirits are dead. They don't know. Our spirits don't know. But when they become alive in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, connecting us to, Je- to the Father, Jesus is the connection. I think that's one of the beautiful things that God does for us in the dark valleys or in our struggles. And and when we're crying out to him, turning to him, looking to him for answers, he delivers or reveals, I guess is more accurately said, he reveals his mysteries to us. And hearing what you're saying, what I went through with, with Larry, you know, God revealed to me that there is something much bigger going on. And it's like this three-pronged life you're talking about that God has for us above and beyond the two-pronged life. He wants to reveal his heart and his value system to us to invite us in to experience him in his habitat. Yes. Yes. Even though we're here. Right. Exactly. Overcoming what we thought we had to have in order to be happy and gives us something even better, better. Yeah, yes. But we have to be willing just to get out of that 
that mindset or that belief system that tells us otherwise, because this world doesn't know Jesus. This world doesn't know what it doesn't know. But right. those of us who've been born again, it's in our hearts. We know that the Holy Spirit is there to kind of bring us, draw us closer to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the beauty of walking with him too, is that you get these revelations, you get yes, these invitations then. into something deeper. Why do you think that we humans do not associate bad things with a good God? He doesn't separate himself from the pain of this life. It's been my experience that he's right in the middle of it. Why do we have a hard time making a connection with the fact that God does care about bad things? He's aware of them. He, he gets it. It kind of gets back to that idea of the two-prong, three-prong one. Okay, if this is all there was in this world... That would be a good argument to have with, with God, if this is all there is. Right. If this life is all there is. But it's not. There is a completely whole other world that's spiritual in nature, which is greater and bigger. It's eternal. It is going to live, last for billions and billions and billions of years. Mm. We see our life from a you know, 70, 80 you know, year time frame. Yeah. And we think that's it. That's it. This is it. This is life. This is it. But from God's point of view, which is the truth, eternal life, okay? Not just the eternal life of knowing Jesus, experiencing him, as I was sharing earlier, the Zoe life. God says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son in order that we might have eternal Zoe life. Well, we think he means temporal life and that like let's just start right there let's just get the temporal life thing down well if we got the temporal life thing down we would miss it completely there like our stories in the word and we can see that people had all the wealth all the you know i can remember one of the a big impact on my life i remember hearing mel gibson's story when he did the passion of the christ he was mm -hmm. giving a little bit of a testimony which was interesting and why he decided to do that movie and he just, he told, he told us something that I, I'll never forget. I don't know if any have the opportunity to watch or hear his, his little uh, interview. And what he said was, you know, um, as an American, I have become famous. I've gotten a lot of fame. Okay. I've gotten all this money. All right. I have a beautiful wife. I have wonderful children. I have more than one house. I have, I have made it. I have the American dream. By all standards, yes. Then why am I so miserable? There's something really wrong with me, is what he said. I have got to be the most pathetic human being on the earth. People would die to just have a quarter of what I have. I have it all. Then what is wrong with me? And what happened was he was in a bookstore and his book fell off the shelf. It was a passion of the Christ. And he had a very strong Catholic background, very religious. There's different sects of the Catholic you know, religion. And so um, he's like, oh, well, that must be it. I'm a, I, I need to find that because that's one thing I don't have. So that's actually the reason why he got into writing up, doing the movie. But the reason I bring it up is this whole issue right there of this life that we all think if I got this, well, then... God, if you're really good and you're really loving, you'll give me this life. Well, you know what? He he has given it to some. But does it satisfy? Does it fulfill? No. 
Because what's missing in our hearts is this love of God that we desperately need to have. Because if you think about it, everything else in life, okay, if God is loving, and he is, he gave us everything like he did with Mel or whatever, which, by the way, his marriage ended up falling apart. Different things happened after the movie. Like, you know, it didn't hold together, okay? Because he never really actually found Jesus. He did a religious thing, <laughs> but not Jesus. Because our hearts were created to know and experience the Father, the love of God. And why is that important? Because the real love of God is eternal. Nothing can break it. Nothing can steal it. Nothing can remove it. It will last forever and ever and ever. Your heart and my heart, our hearts were meant for forever. And so if God is loving, he would want you and I to know this love because it will last forever. Everything else will and can be shaken, taken, broken, destroyed, whatever because nothing lasts forever in the temporal world. So is God loving when he allows bad things to happen to us? Yes, at the time it doesn't feel like it because he wants to give us the real deal, the real thing that will satisfy us to the fullest. In fact, springs of living water will flow up within our hearts and we'll have extra to give out. As we read in scripture and we read through the scriptures and what even the New Testament early believers who were in poverty and struggling gave out of their poverty because they had so much to give because they had an overflow, overflow, abundant life that Jesus came to give us. We need that love more than anything. So if there's any other love out there that is taking that place, we're missing it. You said something when we talked earlier that traumas are not meant to define us, but to refine us. And it sounds like, you know, for the purpose of knowing God deeper on a completely different level into some beautiful territory that we can't really perceive until our backs are in a corner or whatever. We're asking God some deep questions in deep pain or that we just, in, we perceive his invitation and enter into that with him. And what a beautiful, what a beautiful place to do life from because nothing can really well, I'm not going to say that your feelings and emotions are somehow negated or put on hold because we do have those, but we have someone to process them through to find out what is his perspective on that? Who do you want to be for me, God, in this situation? So I think that's yeah, a beautiful journey, a beautiful love story, really. Yeah, it really is. And I think that it does require a shift in our thinking uh, to that bigger perspective. But growing up with abuse and like you were saying earlier we are trying to find love right i think that's a really good definition that if we were to look at love from the standpoint of when we say love what are we talking about we're talking about the aspect of needing to belong to be accepted yeah to have security to have significance this is what love bonds us to and what we're looking for. We're looking to belong. We're looking to be accepted. We're looking to be known, right? We're looking to find security in that and the significance in that. But as we are born again and we develop this and we begin this, this relationship of love with Jesus, this is, Jesus even calls it his the first love. When, like, when I felt, that was my first love. Like, oh my gosh, I felt 
love. I felt like I belonged. I felt like I was accepted. I felt like I was secure. I was significant. Like I, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't define it that way at that moment, but that is truly how I felt. And I, I knew that it was real. I mean, I, it wasn't going to go like, go away, go away that I was okay with God. My heart had found God. And, and so as we grow in this relationship with God, here's the beautiful thing I, I've learned, Sherry, that even the traumas of, of my childhood and learning, like, for instance, I had turned to try to find that where I was not feeling like I belonged, where I wasn't feeling accepted and held or even nurtured. I looked to food. I turned to food. Food became my nurturer. Uh, when I needed love, I would turn to food. I would look and, and food became a very strong addiction and a, a comfort in my life. I think that serves a, I feel something. I yeah, taste like something. I, I feel I full. Think it, yeah. And nurturing is a very real thing, need that we have. I mean, we've talked a little bit about, as I've gone into more areas of recovering and healing from traumas and helping people work through trauma and the way the heart is designed and the way our hearts are meant to experience love. I mean, God gave us a mother to nurture us, to yeah. bond with, you know, to be hugged and to be loved, to mm -hmm. be held, and hopefully to have a father or mother who go to, to, to get answers and who can give you, you know, direction and things like that. This is a good design. I mean, God does not negate or uh, say that the, the natural life is, is bad or that it doesn't have value. It's just not to have more value than the, the eternal, than the spiritual, right? But it's important because the heart needs to be nurtured and to be loved and to feel that experience and to have that bonding experience, right? Yeah. So that even as you were, we were saying, when we lose it, it is painful to lose uh, uh, even the loss of the wanting to have it. Like in my relationship with my husband was a deep loss. I felt that my entire marriage, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't like, well, that just went away. But what did happen was that it got, uh, I want to say, overshadowed by something greater and better. I wasn't loved, loved. I was, my husband could not give me what I was looking for in the natural realm, but God gave me the love that I needed and could, and actually was designed to have in the, in, in the real world so that it gave me that love and that peace and that security and that belonging and acceptance and significance, despite the fact that I couldn't get it in my, which is really overcoming. I mean, th that's just, um, that's good news. Yeah. Amen to that. And plus it helps you. It gives you a freedom to love your husband despite exactly. his life. Exactly. I was free to love my husband and accept him where he was at because I knew that he couldn't, he was broken. He was just broken. And on that level of brokenness, we talk about, you know, levels of trauma and even my own addictions and my own trying that I had, that I were built into my life as I even became a Christian and had to overcome the Lord through his love and through his teaching and through others that he brought into our lives. I love how he brings people into our lives to help us, you know, to, to come alongside us, to, to help me work out my salvation, to work it out into these areas that I had used other things to replace his love. I call it the hard drive between where the heart, the physical heart is when we were first born, or I should say developed in our mother's womb, we 
begin as a heart. Isn't that, isn't that great? God starts us off as a heart. And that heart is beating. They say it has over 40,000 neurons that are very similar to the brain. It actually has its own brain. It's doing its own thing before the brain even develops. So we are heart people. Yeah. God is a heart God. He's God is love. We were made in his image we meant to connect with God. And the first organ that grows out of the heart is the brain. And it's that lower brain stem, that part of our brain that controls our autonomic nervous system, that, that whole, all the 13 systems of our body that keep the lights on, you might say, keep us going. That is our subconscious that we're not even aware of all the time. But if that gets tweaked or it gets rocked, like it was in my husband's life, you know, and, and, and in my life and other people's lives who've had traumas in different ways, um, it can really... Uh, I call it messed with the hard drive because the heart is about love. The lower brainstem is about safety, feeling safe internally and feeling from the external world, the way our bodies perceive threat and how it, how it, it, it wonders and how we protect ourselves and try to, you know, Oh, like I'm going to hold back. Like my, my poor husband did to try, Oh, Hey, I'm not going to get hurt like that again. Uh -uh. We all have done that. We know what that feels like. Right. Yeah. Self-protection. Yeah. And the Lord can, can help us with that. He's so tender and so loving and help us resolve those things. I used to have horrible nightmares, which I don't have anymore from my childhood. And I don't, he's healed me of those things and different things. So, so there's the restoration that we have through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy spirit and his love can, can heal us and restore our souls. So good. Such a good message. The gospel, it reverberates in so many levels of good news. And so yes. I'm loving having this conversation with you. Before I close, is there anything that I have not asked you about that you want to make sure that we share? I think a lot of people who are listening to your podcast have come from a, a place of wondering where they are now, um, maybe stuck, maybe afraid, maybe, maybe thinking, I just want God to fix this in my life. But they're wondering why he's not fixing it. Perhaps he's got something better. And greater. So I think if I could leave something with your audience, what I would say is that there's a greater question that probably needs to be asked of all of us at any time. And that question would be, what is it that I really want? And what is it that I think it will give me? Because wherever our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And sometimes I think we're stuck because we think, like I was thinking, if only my marriage was where it should be, I would be, oh, I'd be, oh, I'd be great. And why aren't you giving it to me? It's not fair, right? But what if Jesus is really saying, I have something for you. I've given you my best. If I was going, I've given you my very son. I've given you the best love I could possibly give you that will give you more than you could have ever wanted or dreamed of. Which would you choose? Where is your treasure exactly? And what is it that I think I'm going to get from that treasure? But if it's only in this life, if it's only about this, it's not good enough. Jesus has got something much better in mind. God's got something much better in mind for you than what you think you are missing. You're not missing anything that Jesus has not given you or wants to give you. The question is, do you want that? Or are you going to try to hold on to what you think will give you the life you're looking for? That's the beautiful example of the struggle between what we know in our five senses and what he has for us eternally. We're grasping at straws, if you will, because we want what we're aware of. But he has something so much more amazing 
in this for us in this life that we That's can experience right. in the here and now. We don't have to wait till we draw That's our right. last breath and right. experience. Eternal life is now. It starts now and it goes forever. And it, 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 it's not, it, it is a place, but it's a person. It's life of knowing him. I have found too for myself that when I don't feel like God is answering what I need, he's drawing me into a deeper intimacy. Like you're saying, there's a question that you need to ask that's more important because when you ask that question, you start to peel away these layers and get down to what you really think you want. But then in that place, you can also say, when you get to the bottom of that, you can say, God, what, what is it that you have for me? That's that replaces this. Where's the value in this compared to the value that you have for me? What is it that is the truth? What's real for me here? Am I grasping at something that's temporal and you have something for me that's eternal? I want the eternal thing. I want that, the heart of who you are. So, but that's a maturing process too. But like you said, there's questions you need to ask. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I think sometimes we look at God as a means to our end. We may not be really wording it that way, but if Jesus comes in, we invite Jesus into our life because he's going to give us a better life, right? He's going to make our kids and bet, you know, husband's life. He's going to make it a better life. Right. He's going to get me the job of my dreams. He's going to get me the house. He's going to get me the, the life that I can look back on my life and say, yeah, I've lived my life. But, um, but what if, and this is the what if part. And I, I can speak from experience in this area where being challenged by the Lord to say, okay, like that question that we, I was just asking, you know, what is it that I really want? What is it that I'm looking for? What is it that I really believe is going to be satisfying? But here's the way God works. I remember that there was a time when I was an opportunity for a job had come up and funny, the Lord really used my husband in this case. And and uh, he had, was speaking to me about this job that I was going to be taking. And uh, he was basically was telling me that I was getting too big for my bridges. I was good at what I did. And I was feeling pretty good about myself and getting full of myself. And he was kind of calling me out on it, which was good. I'm glad he did. And, you know, but I was, I kind of walked away from that conversation. Like a, you know, like a dog with my tail between my legs going, ah, uh, boy, God, I think that sounds like pride. And I, I you know, Ooh, ah, uh, ow. And, you know, I don't think I'm, I don't think that's good. So there's this opportunity that was coming up for this job that I was going to apply for. And I realized I really hadn't prayed about it. Like I hadn't asked God if this was the job he wanted for me or not. Like, this is what, is this totally your will? Because I was all, I, you know, I just thought it was, I just was going with it. And so I stopped and I prayed and I said, God, okay. Is, do you want me to take this job? Do you want me to apply for this job? And I'm telling you, just so clear. I can still recall these words very clearly. He said, if you want the job, it's yours. You can have it. But if you wait on me, I have something better for you. Oh, really? He didn't tell me what it was. I was in my 20s. And I thought to myself, really? Like, wow. Uh, what do I do with that? And I prayed to God again, same exact words. Three times I prayed exactly the same thing. I dropped everything and made a huge life shift at that point and said, it doesn't matter what it is. Because I know that if I'm going to wonder the rest of my life, if I take this job and I miss it, what it is that you have for me, I will have missed it. 
And I can't live with myself wondering 20 years from now if I should have done something different. Right. Yeah. And so I was such an invitation again, another huge invitation, but scary, right? On the one hand, because I didn't know, but that is kind of like that faith walk that you were talking about. Like we don't, he doesn't give us the answers. He doesn't tell us because, because it's a journey and he wants me to follow him. And so little did I know that that journey that I began at that moment, which actually coincided with my husband's trauma to a large degree led me to god led me into a field okay of working with women and understanding the mind and the heart the soul and so forth and healing where i worked you know as an emt worked in the er worked now for the last 22 years with women and as a, well, as a massage therapist but working especially in the area of trauma and uh on all levels of trauma that that actually became the giftedness that God wanted to use in my life to impact not just my life, but may, hundreds of lives. Yeah. I never would have known anything about that, Sherry, if I had not taken the time or let the Lord speak into my heart. And God used my husband to help me with that. I'd like to see what life do I really want? What do I think? We have no idea that what we've been created for because we have to go and trust him that only he knows. And I have to trust him to reveal it to me, but I would not trade my life for anything, traumas and all, yeah. for, for the impact of knowing him and seeing him change the lives of women. And seeing him move in such supernatural ways and transformation, there's really no comparison to that. No. And I do want to touch on the fact that, like you said, scary, because when you're laying down what you perceive to be the good life, the, the pursuit yeah. of life, ha liberty, and happiness. And God's saying, I've got something for you. And a lot of times he doesn't give the details. That is scary. Yeah. What am I laying down for? I'm laying down this for what, God? What Can you throw me a bone here and help me out <laughs> yeah. on yeah. what you have for me? So I know whether or not it's worth it. But I do believe that in everyone's life there comes a point when you are crying out to god for something you are broken about it and god speaks into your spirit and says sweetheart if i don't give you what you're asking for if i don't deliver like you expect me to deliver am i still good enough will you still love me will you still choose yes. me and right. i think that's a that's that shift when you lay down those temporal things and pick up the things of eternity Yes. And I love that. I love it's that transition. So it was scary. I'll give you that. That's where you thrive. You start to thrive. Yes. Start walking in what God has for you, the dreams, the, the, the you know, way you're filling out those days. Beyond your imagination, beyond anything I Amen. ever would have known. I even have, I believe that there are gifts in us and latent things that God will, doesn't give us because they're meant to be used for his eternal purposes. And he's not going to allow us to embezzle them for, for, you know, our purposes, whatever. So there's gifts and things that I didn't even know I had or that he gave me to use for his kingdom and for his purposes that are phenomenal, that I never would have ever known or experienced with him yeah. and these people's lives being transformed. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Right. And my life being one of them. So I would love to do another show with you when we get into the part where you're talking about mind, heart, soul, healing. And the practice mm -hmm. that you do that is God-centered and the way that it has transformed 
uh, the lives of many women. And like I was saying, mine included, I am living after having a session with you, I am living in this place of peace, internal new level of peace. God has brought a lot of peace into my life and healed me of abandonment and rejection and things like that. But spending that time with you brought me into a deeper level of intimacy with Christ. And so I'm excited to share that with other women. So would you come back? Can we do another episode another sure, time? That'd be great. That'd be great. Love it. Awesome. Absolutely. Eileen, you've been fantastic. I could talk for hours, but we really dug into the heart of God and I loved it. So I know my audience will too. Thank you, Eileen. I deeply appreciate you. Thank you for having me. It's Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.